You are listening to episode 286 on University of Adversity. And I'm sitting on the couch, I'm ordering pizzas, and I'm doing all that self-talk. Like, ah, you should have planned for this. Ah, you should have done all your online stuff and ramped up your online programs faster. You knew that. You messed it up. But that doesn't do any good for anybody. You know, it's, it's getting up saying, yeah, you know, I, I could have done better. And at the same time, I'm committed to doing better from here on out or transforming where we're going from here. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. And we are back. What's happening, everybody? Hope you guys are doing well. Welcome to University of Adversity. If you're new to the show, welcome. All you regular listeners, welcome back. If you guys can, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. And if you want to watch it on YouTube, go over there and watch it. Also, subscribe. And keep in mind, you guys, if you do get value from this, please leave us a five-star review on Apple. Those of you who get tired of me saying this, I'm sorry. I just have to say it to the new people because I want to make sure that they get there on top of these episodes. And that I want you guys to know that when you do these things, you're part of the process of helping this show grow. And that means it can get into as many lives as possible. More lives, more transformation, all that good stuff. Which leads me into my guest today. His message is really aligned with what we do here at University of Adversity. And what I really loved was his TED Talk, which I highly recommend you guys go check out. It's got 63,000 views. And it's called Discomfort is Necessary for Innovation. And that is exactly what I talk about on a daily basis with adversity, right? When adver adversity is going to be the thing that allows you to grow. So if you can seek the discomfort, if you can seek that as being part of your journey of growth and transformation, then you're going to open yourself up to so many opportunities and innovation. He, I, I, I geeked out on his TED Talk and made some notes. I don't usually do that. But I really liked it and I, it's something for me that I want to review. And we go over this, but one of the quotes that I bring up is, Magnitude, your magnitude of risk is proportional to, breakthrough, to your breakthrough potential. So I'll read that again. Your magnitude of risk is proportional to your breakthrough potential. I think I got that right. But see, so that's the amount of risk that you have will give you the amount of reward that you'll receive on the other side, right? And... The amount of risk that you're willing to take is going to open the door to transformational innovation. And that's really what we're seeking, right? If what we want is growth in life, if what we want is transformation, if what we want is to get through what we're going through, on the other side of that is so much opportunity. So we need to learn to seek the discomfort. And we're going to talk about all of that in this. And I know you guys will walk away feeling inspired after this episode. And I would highly recommend going and checking out Sterling. He's got some great value. And to be honest, he's helped so many businesses during this time in the past. We talk about what characteristics. Um, I asked him a question about what characteristics do you see founders that succeed versus those who fail? We cover that. So all of you business owners out there, we get into what he thinks about people that succeed versus the people that don't and how to unlock the potential in your team. You know, we're all trying to bring out the best of our team and our squad and it's not always easy. 
right? It's, it's not always, but we unpack all of that. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. I don't hope, I know you will, but if you guys do share it with somebody or leave us a review, like I said before, it's always greatly appreciated. All right. Without further ado, Sterling Hawkins coming right up. And here we go. We're making it happen. Sterling, how you doing, brother? Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having <laughs> me, Lance. It's uh, great to finally be here. Absolutely, man. And like I was saying to you before, I was binge watching some of your talks. You know, your TED talk is fucking awesome, by the way, man. I, I really Thank liked you. it. And discomfort is necessary for innovation is so aligned with University of Adversity and what I'm doing. <laughs> and and just unpacking that and getting people to really understand the benefit in discomfort sometimes, you know, and especially with what's going on in the world right now. So I guess where I want to kick it off is like with what's going on in the world right now, how has that, how has that discomfort is necessary for innovation showed up and how does it pertain to what has gone on in the last what, 10, 11 months? I don't even remember how long it is now. <laughs> <laughs> right. It seems like an eternity. Now. Yeah. Um, I, I'm like, how is it New Year's already? You know? Oh, dude, it's nuts. Um, but it, it's not just the pandemic we're dealing with, right? Yeah. It's tech disruption. It's civil unrest in different places. It's demands from our clients, our customers, our communities, and our families. They're really probably more than they've ever been before. Mm. And you know, I speak and run workshops around innovation, how to create transformative results, you know? Yeah. And so no surprise come March. Well, well, that didn't exist anymore, at least in person. And, you know, I, I feel like I've got to take my own medicine too. So what I did, this is a long story short. I'm like, you know what? When presented with discomfort and you're not sure what to do, find more of it. It's kind of like fighting fire with fire. And so... You know, do you know who David Goggins is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> an absolute savage. It's like, seek it. Like, he loves, he just seek that discomfort, you know? Like, it's, it's crazy, but it's so true. Yeah. yeah, and he, like, runs 240 miles. You know, he's been part of every high-level military training there is. And I follow him on Instagram because he is yeah. an inspiring guy. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I caught this video. He was doing, running four miles. Yeah. every four hours for 48 hours. Yeah. Now, I'm not a runner, but I was like, I'm going to do that. You, you know, this is the discomfort I'm going to mm. uh, go after. And again, long story short, I'm out there and it's awful. You know, two miles in, I'm sweating, I'm breathing heavy. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to make it. Mm. And about halfway through, I had this epiphany. Is I'm going to finish this, whether it's running, walking, crawling, no matter what. And there was this tremendous peace that went with that, right? Almost like an acceptance of the pain, an acceptance of what was coming. And I think that's the big takeaway I've had for myself, but I think everybody can take from the pandemic and everything else going on, mm. right? As soon as you surrender to what is exactly how it is, it gives you some ability to start making some new decisions from there. And it gives you peace of mind above everything. Yeah, man. It, it's really your perspective. And, you know, I've been... I, having explaining to somebody to see what they're going through in the moment, whether it's good or bad is it's just yeah. is it's just it's, that's what it is. And we, we say we give, 
the title of things being bad and things being good, but they're just made up constructs right. from, because if we think people think things are good because they don't, they make us feel good and we don't have to get uncomfortable. So that's labeled as good, but then yeah. we label things as bad because it makes us uncomfortable, which is completely opposite because we always grow on the other side of that discomfort. Always. I, I mean, if you look back at recessions in the past, some of the most known companies today, like Venmo, Uber, Airbnb, were started during different depressions. Mm. If you look at the pandemic now, more innovation, more change is coming than I think maybe ever before in human history. Yeah, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day and she was like, well, I've turned the corner of my bedroom into an office. And I'm like, well, that's, that's innovation, that's change, right? It might not be for the better, at least you might not see it that way, but you're right. As soon as we can see whatever change is beneficial to us, even if it doesn't initially feel that way, then it gives us a lot of leverage to start looking for, well, how can this work to my advantage? You know, where's the opportunity in this? Because there's tremendous opportunity whenever any disruption happens. How do you get somebody to see that perspective? Like, how do you... It's, it's the same as adversity. It's, it's easy for us to say, you know, it's a gift. In the moment, people don't see it like that, right? In hindsight, right. it's easy to say. But how do, well, you, I, yeah, how do you get somebody to see that perspective? I, I was going to say, even knowing that, it's hard to deal with yeah. sometimes. You know, I just look at myself in March. I knew that the adversity with my whole business being disrupted was good for me in some capacity. But that didn't mean it got any easier, you know? No. And I think just, you know, what's important for me is surrendering or having faith that the future is going to be better than it is right now. Mm. And, you know, that gives me a lot of purpose to say, okay, well, now we can take the steps necessary to go forward. I don't know if there is an easy way to get somebody to understand that, especially if they're in the throes of it, you know? It's almost like you have to make the difference at the experiential level for somebody to really grasp onto it, say, okay, yeah, I'm going to surrender to all these you know, difficulties I might have in my life or my business right now and uh, have some faith that it's going to end up for the best. Yeah, the surrendering aspect is, is so important. And yeah. I find when, when I don't surrender you know, you're gripping things tighter and then you're actually cutting off things from flowing in. Right. Like the minute you surrender and just go, ah, you know, that doesn't mean not do, doesn't mean be lazy. Like some people think, oh, does that mean just stop doing work? It just means like do your best, but then for, leave the outcome, like allow it to just flow. It, exactly. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting to me is I get kind of nerdy with some of the brain science behind it. Mm. And it, to look at it through another lens, the conscious mind processes about 50 bits of information per second. You know, a bit is a quantity of information, Insane. like a computer process of bits, right? Mm -hmm. um, when we're in comfort, when we're kind of in the status quo, we use those 50 bits to use all the resources, the people, the connections around us in a way that we already know how. And we label that the status quo. That's why we have the results that we have. Now, just take a guess. How much do you think your subconscious mind can process in that same amount of time? Oh, man. I don't I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. You already know where I'm headed with it. Yeah. Yeah. 
11 million bits. That's crazy. Which said another way of the world around you, you were looking at like 0.00046% of it. Mm. And so when discomfort is placed upon us or it's chosen, it gives us a chance to look into those other 11 million bits or 10 million and you know, whatever change to start to look at the world, leverage our resources, connect with people in totally new ways. And that's where all the potential is. You know, I really liked what you said as well about this, this quote. There's a couple things I really liked. There's not many Ted talks I like though, by the way, I'm kind of like, oh, oh, good. like there's <laughs> honestly, I really, there is one, there's this, like when you said, because it resonates with me because it's the same message as mine. And this is, yeah. it's inspiring because I want to do a TED Talk as well one day. So I really like this when you said career risking, image risking, reputation risking opens the door to transformational in innovation. And the magnitude of the risk is proportioned to the breakthrough potential. Dude, that is, that is powerful because yeah. you're not going to get your breakthrough. Like the, the, the level of breakthrough comes from the level of, risk or level of struggle that you're willing to go through, right? If you want the reward, you got to be willing to do the thing. Totally. <laughs> you know, took like, great notes on the TED Talk. <laughs> I did, man. I did. <laughs> but but it, it's really true. And I think anybody that's been successful with literally anything has built up their ability to deal with discomfort. I call it like a discomfort muscle. Mm. Right. And the stronger you get in dealing with discomfort and dealing with the unknown, the more you're able to do impact and really risk out in the world. You know, if you were to talk to me a decade ago, you know, I sold my company and you know, I'm doing really well. I'm kind of high on the horse. I've got a bunch of money in the bank. Well, I'm not sure I would have kind of paid attention to a lot of the principles that we're talking about here. Right? It's only through the adversity that was really forced upon me in, in my life, multiple times, by the way, like high highs and low lows, did I start to see, oh yeah, good things do come out of this. And at the time, I wouldn't have been able to say some of the things I'm saying now or you know, risk my career or risk my image or anything else because my discomfort muscle wasn't strong enough. And over time, you kind of build it up and you get stronger and stronger and stronger. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can risk my career. But in fact, I'm not emotionally triggered by it anymore. I'm kind of settled into myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What would you say would be your, out of your entire journey so far, <laughs> what would be the biggest struggle that you faced that had the most impact on your life today? Uh you know, I've, I've been through so many of them. You know, the first company I founded, we sold to a group in the Bay Area that raised $550 million before going bankrupt. And so, you know, I went from this point where I'm ready to buy an island and I've got a bunch of money and we're having parties at the Four Seasons to crashing where I'm sleeping on the couch at my parents' house. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was at my parents' house for a while and it, it was tough because the business collapsed. Uh, I ran out of cash. My girlfriend broke up with me. You know, like I said, in the TED Talk it was kind of like a country song. And I was living that country song. And, you know, my mom said this thing to me when I was a kid. She said, the way out is through. 
it turns out it's a Robert Frost quote, right? Yeah. But to me, it's always going to be my mom. And as I'm going through emails one day, I realized, um, well, let's try that out. It's one thing to know the quote. It's one thing to have the knowledge that these things that are difficult for us can benefit us. Mm. But what if I go after this intentionally? And so at, at the time, I was super self-conscious. You know, I had had some high highs. I'd been successful with some things, which when I hit, in a lot of ways, a rock bottom, what made it even harder because I was supposed to be somebody. You know what I mean? You ever yeah. been in a situation with like that? Like, oh, I've got like an image to uphold. Yeah. So I, I didn't really want to go out in public. I certainly couldn't public speak. I was terrified to do most anything. Even to get on a Zoom, I'd be like, oh my God, I can, I'm not sure I can do that. And I get this email from a conference in Singapore. It just, you know, like typical invite. You've probably seen a hundred of them today already. You know, join our conference, save the world. And I hit the reply button. I said, why don't you have me speak? Now, I think there's something to what a friend of mine used to say, said, it's better to be lucky than smart. I definitely got lucky in this case because the conference director gets back to me and we talk about what I'm going to share on stage. I ask him for a budget. And suddenly I've like confirmed myself to speak on stage in Singapore at a conference with thousands of people. Hmm. And it's at that point, I'm like, well, wait a second. I actually have to get on that stage. You know, so this is the discomfort that I'm starting to go through. I'm building the deck. I'm practicing. I joined Toastmasters, which is kind of the speaking club you've probably yeah. heard of. Oh, yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, when I got up on that stage, I was still terrified. I may have blacked out, but I delivered it because I practiced so much. I get off stage and the conference director is like, oh, my God, that's, that's the best talk I've seen in my entire career. I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm like did you check out because you couldn't have seen the same talk that I was talking about. Hmm. But he went on to say, seriously, I need to put you in touch with all of my conference director friends. And I had a career on my hands. And that's wow. when like that knowledge of the way out is through became something that I started to embody. And I'm like, Oh, that's really right. Yeah. Right. The feelings of discomfort are what you have to embrace. And once you're able to embrace those, that's where the breakout comes. Hmm. Did you get like a high after that, that talk? <laughs> Man, speaking gives you, it's, speaking is like a crazy thing for that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it, it was relief at the time. Yeah. You know, I, I just didn't want to embarrass myself and I wanted to, most importantly, make sure I was adding value to those people. You know, they paid me to come over there. They dedicate 45 minutes of their time. I'm like, I want to make sure this is valuable to them. Mm. So when I was done, I was like, huh. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm wow. glad it's over. I'm glad they liked it. But I think that high I get now because I'm more acclimated to it. At the time, it was just so overwhelmingly uncomfortable to me. It was yeah. like I just had to get through it. Mm. Yeah, speaking is a funny one, man. It's, <laughs> it messes with people. And it does. <laughs> but it's also, I mean, it's such a rewarding thing. You know, so many people have said it's completely changed their life. And it just it forces you to really get into those uncomfortable moments because, I mean, public people are more scared to speak than dying. Like, it's, it's crazy. I, I don't, there's that joke about you would rather be in the casket than give the eulogy. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like really? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what it does is it starts to uh, force you to articulate ideas mm. in a way that makes sense to other people. Right. Because you know, I think so many people have such tremendous ideas. If they could only get them out there, right? Come up with the, the confidence or I would say it the other way, build that discomfort muscle to start sharing some of those ideas, talking about their ideas. Well, I think we'd solve most of the problems we have today. The pandemic being the least of it. Mm. Do you find a lot of people are afraid to share their story, share their truth? Like they don't, like people are going to judge them. But then after usually people sharing them is like creates the greatest freedom and healing in their life too. Like, do you notice a lot of people scared to kind of open up? Yeah. Yeah. Tons. I, I mean, that's a lot of what my business is now. I help companies and people achieve breakthrough growth. And the first step yeah. is, well, let's find the discomfort and then uh, let's talk about it. Let's articulate why that's uncomfortable to you, right? What is there to go after? Because at the end of the day, to have some kind of breakthrough growth, well, it means there's a fundamental belief that you have that has to change, right? right? Something you believe about yourself or the world around you right. is inaccurate. It's kind of a faulty lens on what's possible or a faulty lens on reality yeah. that can fairly easily be changed. It's just uncomfortable to do, right? Because we all build our identities on well, I know this about myself and I'm that way and I don't like speaking in public. And so as we can change some of those fundamental beliefs, well, it gets much easier to speak in public. It gets much easier to kind of realize the potential that we all have. And it's tremendously liberating because I think people kind of keep a lot of these things bottled up. And then as soon as they can express them and even one person listening to them, can be hugely transformative because they realize, oh, yeah, my ideas mean something. It's made a difference for one person. And then from there, it's just a matter of scale. Yeah, it's, I find it's for people, they got to understand who they are. And, you know, because a lot of it is a story. It's just a story. Yeah. And it's like why certain people are scared of certain things you know, it could be related to so much of their upbringing, their past, because somebody laughed at them. And really, like, I've been thinking about this as well, because like, I want to write a book also yeah. around adversity and like what it actually means. And one of my core things was like, well, first, we got to understand the human and the human, like, like what they've gone through and understand yourself. Right. And, and because how you look through your lens is based on the story from your past right? and how you're going to deal with the thing in front of you can change, but you have to understand and accept your story of who you are, but then be able to adapt to the change so that when you see these things, they're not, it's not just connected to this story of something that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And, and really have some empathy yeah. for it. You know, I, I think those stories that we make up uh, about ourselves, well, you said it, it usually happens when we're much younger. Yeah. And they're totally invisible to us today. But by finding things that are uncomfortable in our life, it starts to give us some access to it. Because, you know, when I first committed to that speech in Singapore, you know, as a couple of weeks went through, I started 
to recall this thing that happened to me in fifth grade, believe it or not. Totally forgot. You know, I'm not thinking about my friends from that time or the teacher or anything else, but there was this one presentation in fifth grade that I was convinced was going to be like knockout best, a number one performance of the entire thing because I practiced so hard for it. I was talking about, um, you know, Harry Houdini, the famous oh, escape yeah. artist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was a speech in fifth grade about that. So I needed to be last because you know, I wanted it to be the grand finale. So everybody else spoke and you know, picture the room where you've got that big like camcorder in the middle of it on the tripod. Everybody's got the chair with the desk attached to it. Uh, the teacher's in the back of the room. And I thought it, I was really sharp because I had the prop of, I was going to handcuff myself behind my back. And at the end of the talk, I was going to break through and everybody was going to cheer, right? I had that kind of expectation. Yeah. Well, I get up there and I look out at the audience and I'm looking dead into the camera and I forgot what to say. And, you know, I, I could still feel it. Initially, wow. when I remembered this, like my face got flush, I, I got kind of jittery. It's like I was back in that moment for a second. And I can't tell you if I ever finished that talk. I know I had to have somebody help me out with the handcuffs and go back to the desk and um, see my notes. But understanding that that happened to me in fifth grade and kind of coming to terms with it gave me some freedom to well, speak today, at least initially speak in Singapore. Hmm. So interesting. Right. Oh, <laughs> it's funny. crazy how that stuff works. I remember. Yeah, and in, in, it happens in a lot of ways too with, with people in addiction and trauma. It's like they, and it's like yeah. that emotional connection to something and they got to mask it with something else and it stops them from doing so much and have so much fear because they don't want to feel that thing again, that pain again. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think there's something to draw from um, uh, psychology here because yeah. one of the ways that they deal with phobias, like one of the most effective ways to deal with phobias is to slowly expose people to what it is that they're afraid of. So if you're afraid of dogs, well, we're gonna start with showing you pictures of dogs and then videos of dogs. And then we're gonna show you a dog that's on the other side of the street. And then we're gonna have a dog in the same room as you. And then you're gonna to touch the dog and you get closer and closer to what it is that you fear. Mm. And suddenly, over time, you don't fear it anymore, right? You're able to be around dogs. And well, we operate that same exact way with anything. You know, if we're afraid of public speaking, I can't say the first thing you should do is stand up in front of a thousand people, right? It's too uncomfortable. You're kind of on that other side of the spectrum where it's debilitating and you know, you go into that fight, flight or freeze response and you just don't know what to do. But starting talking to a couple of friends on zoom, well, now you're starting to acclimate to it. Okay, well, let's go a little bigger. Let's present to 50 people on Zoom. And then I'm going to do a Facebook Live. And then when this pandemic's over, I'm going to speak to a group of 10 people, right? And you start to grow your ability to do those things over time. And, you know, it's, it's proven psychologically to work. Yeah, powerful stuff. With, so I'm going to change, change direction here a little bit. I want to, I want to yeah. ask you a little bit about just there's a couple things that especially right now with uh -huh. 
what's going on in the world and startups and founders. And um, I'm really interested to just hear, you know, what characteristics or even in the past or even now and how maybe it's changed, but like what characteristics do you see that really create somebody that has success versus somebody that fails at like the most basic level? Like yeah. what, are, what are some of the things that are the most common between yeah. somebody that, that either succeeds or fails? Well, I've done a, a ton of research on this, you know, just my own experience. I've learned some things, but then I started looking at like Top Gun pilots and billionaire founders and famous uh, entrepreneurs and just started asking questions and researching them and understanding people from history. And there really are some underlying factors that no matter if you're in the military, you're an academic, you're an entrepreneur, no matter what vertical you're in, you've got to have some of these same traits. And the first thing is you've got an ability to deal with uncertainty, right? And that goes to most of our conversation, right? You're finding discomfort and you're able to grow from it over time. Uh, the second thing is they really commit themselves. I see a lot of businesses, especially, but as people, we do it too. We look for like the plan B or um, what the out is going to be. Yeah. Uh, well, if it doesn't work out, then I'm going to do this other thing. Mm. Now, to some degree, especially in larger businesses, you've got to have uh, some plans around what it is that you're doing. But as soon as you have an out, it's much less likely that you're going to achieve whatever that vision is, right? You need the discomfort of total commitment or, you know, you'd say it another way by saying burning the ships Mm. to move you from that status quo of here's where I'm directing those 50 bits of my conscious mind to here's the potential beyond it. Mm. And then that's not easy. So these people also surround themselves with people that empower them to grow. You know, certainly they have friends, but the people I'm talking about is they surround themselves with people that say, hey, that was a great presentation or that was a great sales pitch or this was a great deliverable. But here's how you can make it better, right? They're committed to your potential, not necessarily to your feeling good. Mm. Uh, The fourth thing I would say is that they look at problems and obstacles as opportunities, Right? If somebody else had solved them already, they wouldn't be problems. So if it's a problem for you or it's a problem for society or if it's a problem in general, that is the opportunity because it is a problem, makes it an opportunity. So they look at those problems as the doorways to breakthrough growth. And finally, we touched on this a little bit already, is they're able to accept things as they are. Right? They're able to kind of surrender to the present exactly as it is, exactly as it isn't. So they can start to make some better decisions from there, right? If they spend their time thinking, oh, well, I should have done this and I could have done that. And he's so stupid. Why didn't I do it like this other way? Well, that's not productive for anybody. Yeah. So they surrender to probably a lot of mistakes and just repeat that process over and over and over again. Mm. There's a lot of stuff. That's so so good, man. That's so good. (laughs) Because it's important, you know, people, there's a lot of people starting businesses and, you know, you, you have, there, there's certain things that you have to be willing to go through. It's not always going to be easy, but you know, when you're in the shit, sometimes it's like, man, like 
why am I doing this? I mean, I've gone through it. I know other people have, you know, you question, you're like, why am I not where I should, you know, we, it's expectations too. It's managing these, like the inner critic and these expectations of where we should be because we're comparing ourselves to the other people on, especially social media. Why am I not there? I I suck at this. Right. And then it's that talk, (laughs) Right. right? It's, it's, it's really, and, and that's why I think that's so powerful because like that real understanding that you have to be a problem solver, like you said as well in the TED talk about MacGyver. And I really resonated with the MacGyver thing because it's so true. And anybody that's too yeah. young to know MacGyver, I highly recommend watching that show because I used to watch it too. And it was really fascinating because that's really what entrepreneurs are is just problem solvers. It's like, well, I, am I going to sit in the shit and develop and worry about the problem? Or am I going to focus on the solution? Right. right. Yeah. Are you going to be a victim of the problem? Yeah. And beat yourself up about it, which is hugely debilitating. Yeah. Or are you going to, you know, stand up and actually do something about it? And it's it's hard. I mean, we're dealing with our own humanity. I remember, you know, going back to March when my whole business totally changed. I mean, just to give you a sense, we went from like seven figures in revenue down to nothing in a matter of days. You know, workshops are canceling, speaking's canceling. And so I went through, I, I know all this stuff. I'm teaching it, right? But yeah. at the same time, that's hard to process as a human. And I'm sitting on the couch, I'm ordering pizzas, and I'm doing all that self-talk. Like, ah, you should have planned for this. Ah, you should have done all your online stuff and ramped up your online programs faster. You knew that. You messed it up. You know? Yeah. But that doesn't do any good for anybody. You know, it's, it's getting up saying, yeah, you know, I, I could have done better. And at the same time, I'm committed to doing better from here on out or transforming where we're going from here. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's acknowledging it and then not sitting in that space too long because I think people will yeah. just sit there too long yeah. and just dwell on it. Yeah. And it's, and I've heard that from so many people, how their business changed in March like yeah. I used to talk about everybody, they would talk about how they lost everything in 2008 and then, <laughs> and then how they got this and that's going to yeah. be the talk. It's, it's literally the 2020 is going to be a whole podcast itself on the shit wow. people have gone through, right? Amazing, yeah. Literally, like every single person, whether, you know, if you're a human on this planet, there's some sort of story that you could pull out and somehow some people have adapted and some people haven't as well. And that's what I find right. so fascinating is like, why have some people been able to do that? And some people have like, haven't. And, and I, it's, it's so interesting to me, man. Yeah. Well, I, I think the answers and, and not to just keep dwelling on this, but the answers are in discomfort. Yeah. You know, I, I talk with a lot of entrepreneurs that are just waiting right? They're waiting for their idea. They're waiting for the perfect time. They're waiting to have this degree or this certification or to meet the right co-founder, right? Mm. And you have some of these conversations and it's like, well, how long have you been waiting? Five years, six years, 10 years. There is no perfect time. No. Right? For, for any of us, there's not a perfect time in the world. There's not a perfect time in our lives. Things are always going on. And I think the best medicine for that is to find discomfort, right? Find something that's going to shake up your status quo 
And all of a sudden, these ideas start to emerge. This potential starts to emerge, and it starts to give you a path, right? Where you start to see, oh, here's the meaning I want to go after. Mm. Yeah. When you're when you're working with teams and culture, mm-hmm. how do you? What are some tips for people to kind of unlock potential within the team? Like you know, people can be. Um, this, this is really something that I am working on while I build my business is really like without pushing people to do things, but like seeing their gifts and trying to get them to see them pull out, (laughs) try and pull out the best in them without being like, you need to do this. So it's interesting to me. And I'd love to know your perspective on that. Like, how do you pull that out, that potential from, or how do you teach founders and CEOs to do that. Yeah. Well, I I think the first key is to disrupt the status quo, right? And just to clarify what the status quo looks like can sometimes be breakdown, right? The Mm -hmm. status quo for a lot of businesses and people right now is some resignation to, oh, well, we just have to wait until the pandemic's over. Or yeah, business is terrible right now, but we can't make it better because it's a pandemic. Right? And that's almost like your new comfort zone. You don't have to push the boundary. It feels really good there. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. It might not feel really good, but you're acclimated mm. to it, right? right. It, it feels normal to you. So the first thing I do with, with anybody is start looking for, well, what makes you uncomfortable? How can we start to shake up your status quo? So you start to look at and accept new things. And one of the best ways, what we used to do, back when we got together in person is we would have people speak in the front of the room just exactly because what we said earlier that so many people are afraid of it. So when you get people in the front of the room, even just introducing themselves, it starts to disrupt something. People are a little bit uncomfortable. They're looking for, you know, well, where are we headed from here? And that's, that's where we start. From there, it's kind of diving into, okay, well, what's the vision? Where do you ultimately want to go? And can we get really clear about that before figuring out different ways to get there? You know, the the path to the future that I think most people and businesses have mapped out is very linear. Mm. And if it's not linear and you're maintaining the status quo, then, well, you're probably lying to yourself. Right. Most businesses will say, oh, yeah, we're going to grow 10% here. I'm going to do 5% better next year. I'm going to get that raise I was counting on. And so I'm going to make 10% more and I'm going to get this bonus. Right. Mm. Real breakthrough growth comes from doing things differently. It comes from some form of discomfort. And the way that you already know how to get there is not the answer. You know, if it was, well, I'd say you probably would have done it already. So there's some exercise in growing your discomfort muscle and thinking laterally to get you to new places. Does that make any sense? Of course. So much sense. You know, that's, it's so crazy <laughs> because we, this, we're always looking to be comfortable and warm and cozy and everything's like good and smooth. Like that's what we're conditioned. Right. We're bec- like, we're so soft. Yeah. Well, like evolutionarily, it makes a ton of sense, right? 
avoid the things that are dangerous and we survive. Yeah. We survive as yeah. an individual. We survive as a species. Yeah. So I, I get why that's kind of the natural sure. automatic human response. The thing is, well, most of us, thankfully, aren't under the threat of our, our lives most of the time, mm. right? There's not some uh, opposing tribe that's going to attack us or a, a bear that runs into our camp in the middle of the night. That's probably not going to happen. But what we've done is we've constructed the way we think about the world, the things that we believe can look dangerous. And our, so our physiological response is primed to respond to it just like it would a bear or you know anything else that's life-threatening so the the key is letting go of some of that right not responding in that way and you start to become almost more of a master of yourself what do you do when you get really scared when you fear something other than either of course lean into it but what is there some is there some sort of technique or you know how do you navigate through extreme fear? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, what's interesting, because extreme fear, I've done a bunch of crazy stuff, like skydiving, yeah. shark diving, like things no, that are quote-unquote life-threatening. Yeah. And in the moment of fear, you're really beholden to whatever your biological response is. I remember shark diving in uh, South Africa and, yeah, I'm sitting with my feet over the side of the boat in the shark cage because we had been there for hours and I've just given up. I'm like, oh, well, we're not going to see any sharks today. Minutes later, there's a like 18 foot shark that had jumped out of the water to <laughs> grab onto the bait, maybe 18 inches from me, like insanely close. And in that moment, I don't think I've ever felt more fear. It wasn't like I had to think through some process of how I respond. I froze. Like, I literally didn't know what to do. Now, given I was probably relatively safe at the time, but my biological response just kicked in. It was what it was. My natural response, what I wanted to do, is to lay back in the boat. I wanted to get out of the water. I wanted to get away from the shark. And I could have done that. But everybody on the boat is saying, hey, jump in the water, jump in the shark cage, because now is the time you get to see them swim around. And so to answer your question, the first step is you got to pause, right? You got to realize here is my biological reaction. As soon as that conscious mind kicks in, you got to say, okay, I'm experiencing fear, whatever that looks like for you. And the next step is choosing what you're going to do next. And you're able to choose more and better things the more comfortable you get with discomfort. So at the time I said, okay, I wanna get back in the boat, but I'm going to jump in the water, just like they said. And as soon as I jump in, like this piece overtakes me and I see this incredible majestic shark that didn't look so scary anymore, just looked curious as I'm looking into that big black eye from the other side of the cage, you know? And you kind of realize, oh, yeah, on the other side of discomfort, once we can choose what we want over the fear of maybe not having it or whatever fear or belief that we might have, well, those are the breakthrough moments. Did I answer your question? Yeah, man. Yeah, I, um, it's, it's interesting because how people react to fear is all different. Again, it's based on 
past beliefs most of the time. It's just a made up story of why we're scared of something. Yeah, but at the same time, it's so real, isn't it? So real, yeah. <laughs> like the experience of fear is an experience. And you're right. Like when you're facing something, you in the moment, when you're present, you just you don't have time to worry about it. It's like before it or after is when we think about it. When, when you're in the shit, there's no, you're just doing it. You just become this, this thing that just knows. Right. You just have to face, like there's no talk. When it's like, when you, you know, and this used to happen to me even when, you know, different situations, like when I worked in bars and nightclubs for many years and like, you mm. know, or even in, you know, when we get pumped, yeah, we just get, it's stressful. It's like, and same with, I played hockey for many years. As soon as you're like under the pressure, it's like, you don't have time to think. Right. You do all your thinking before and after and prepping. And then all of a sudden when you're in it, it's never as bad as you thought. Never. You know, you're in the shit. It's never as bad. And then you're like, why was I so worried about that? Yeah. It's interesting. The dialogue that we have. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the secrets of like flow states, mm. right? There's a lot of like biohacking going on and I'm, I'm all for it, by the way. I purchase more biohacking things online than I can even probably count. Mm. But they're all like these devices to get your brain in a certain place or you eat this thing and... I think the best, most effective flow sticks actually come from embracing pressure. Like you said it, when you're in the moment of playing the game or you're in the moment of you know, a really busy bar scene where you're not thinking anymore, but you're using all the knowledge that you have and you've now embodied it just to deliver. And you're probably like most efficient when you're in those modes, right? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Under pressure, I, I love it I, and I get high from it after. Yeah, and, and that's it, right? That's kind of the embracing of the discomfort. You let go of yourself and surrender to whatever the experience is because you're right, all, all the self-talk that happens around it, before it, well, none of that really matters. No. It just It's in the moment where you're going to get something done or, or not. Yeah. How do, you, how do you set yourself up for your mornings, your, do you have like a morning routine or do you have like, like how do you dial in when you need to be on? Uh, yeah, I do have a, a bit of a morning routine. I've been, uh, doing a lot of yoga for years now. Yeah. I think along with half of California, like I got my teacher training and certification and everything else. And so that's become a very important practice to me. If I don't practice yoga at least a couple of times a week and especially in the morning, I'm just off. Yeah. Um, so when I get up, I typically go to the gym, usually some form of yoga, and I meditate. You know, I'll come back from the gym, I'll meditate for 15 minutes, no matter what's happening, just to kind of center myself, let go of all the thoughts that I maybe woke up with or ended up having while I was at the gym, and just get present. Mm. And from there, it's only once I've done those things, I can start looking at emails or social media or whatever I've got on deck. For the day, if I start out opening my phone and looking at Instagram first thing in my bed, I'm shot, right? I'm down the rabbit hole. So I try and keep the phone away until well, I get through some of my morning routine. Yeah, you're in reactive mode the rest of the day. Right. Yeah, you're almost playing catch up. Isn't it insane how yeah. that happens when you pay attention yeah. to that? Like when you, when you actually pay attention to, okay, today 
I am in control. I'm going to do the things that I need to do. And then I'm going to turn my phone on yeah. and connect. And you have control of your day. It's like you're one step ahead. And it's the days where you're like, oh, I'm just going to turn it on and check something. And it's like, ding, 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 ding you're part of the matrix. <laughs> and it's right. always, you, you just got the you're, treadmill. you're always behind. It's this reactive and, and you can't, and you don't set yourself up and it, it really makes a difference. It, it, it does. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day and we were talking about where we can place our attention mm. and your attention can, is usually ends up someplace in your thoughts, yeah. right? Like in the past of what you were supposed to do yesterday, in the future, what you have to do today, or it was something totally imaginative, right? Like a pink elephant jumping on a trampoline. And that's where we spend most of our time. But where things get done is the other place where we can put our attention, which is on our experience, right? Kind of really becoming present, whether you do that through meditation or singing or uh, any kind of flow state that you find. Because in that experience is where your results are going to come from, not from the thinking part of it. Do you find a lot of a lot more you know people high level founders and CEOs and and doing these businesses and startups do you find them yeah. developing more of that and they're becoming better because it used to be just go 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 hustle 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 right and that doesn't necessarily make you better at the thing you're doing it's like the other things the yoga the breath work the meditation actually makes you more of a well-rounded human so that you're better at the thing that you actually are trying to be better at yeah. Yeah. I, I think people are starting yeah. to get better at that. I, I think it was Jeff Bezos that said, you know, only make three serious decisions every day. Mm -hmm. I might be misquoting him. That might be from somebody else. But in any case, the idea is that you only do a couple of major things a day because that's really all you have the capacity for. Like your wellness, where you're making those decisions from is most important. Mm -hmm. And there's this weird dichotomy. And I, I've yet to get to the bottom of it. I just wrote a blog on it a couple of weeks ago where in one hand, you have to see yourself and everything around you as perfect, right? You, you have to accept everything as it is and be really in love with it. And that's the self-care that we're talking about. And I think people overall are getting much better at that. But at the same exact time that everything's perfect, well, it's not good enough, right? There's got to be something to do, some problem to solve, some place to go. And I think people that are most effective, not just in business, but in life, manage those two sides of it really effectively, right? Where they're saying, yeah, I accept the things, I accept myself the way I am. And at the same time, I've got a difference that I'm committed to making. Um, I would say a lot of people, I think these days fall maybe too much into the self-care bucket because it's easy. It's a, it's a comfortable place. So we just have to be careful to keep enough discomfort, kind of balance the chaos and order in life because that's where you're going to get your peak performance. Discomfort is self-care <laughs> technically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's, it's your perspective. It's your perspective on it though. Right. Someone like David Goggins, that's his self-care, right? Like, because, Very true. You, because you know that, you know, 
what's going to come out of that. So you know you'll grow. So technically that is self-care in a way, right? So it's like your perspective on it. If you know what, you know, seeking this discomfort and what the rewards are going to be. Yeah. It's just your whole perspective on it. It is. Well, and also it's worth pointing out that he does do a lot of management and maintenance of his body around that. I think I read he stretches for something like three hours a day, every day. Wow. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, I don't think I've ever stretched for that long, you know? So yeah, he's out there doing these crazy things and in a way it is self-care, but he's also balancing it, kind of tempering it saying, yeah, I know biologically my body needs to heal itself. Mm -hmm. You can't just run perpetually and never take a break. So, you know, there again, it's just that balance. Yeah. I remember hearing him on Rogan. I'm glad he's adopted that because I don't think he did for many, many years of his crazy, crazy uh, runs that he was doing. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's a balance, man. I, I agree. And I, I I think it's super important, man. And dude, thank you so much for coming and, and, and jamming with me with this stuff. This stuff's so important. And, you know, yeah, it's it's always great to get a perspective on hearing another person really push this message at seeking that discomfort, right? That's how you get your innovation. And yeah, man, thank you so much for what you're all the things you're doing. Well, thanks for having me on. And yeah, you know, I'm a, a big fan of everything you're doing. So Thanks, appreciate brother. it. Appreciate it. Where can we where can we check you out? Where's where can everybody find you and learn more about you? Yeah, so sterlinghawkins.com is my website and Sterling Hawkins on just about every social media platform there is. Yeah. Pretty searchable. And right now, I actually just launched, I don't know if you saw it, but a, a free 10 days to get results challenge where I've literally taken the best of everything I've learned the last couple of years and put it into a 10 day challenge where people can really transform whatever result they're looking for in their life and their career and their business in a matter of 10 days. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, And it's just free on the website. Awesome. We'll have that link in the show notes and uh, yeah, dude, where how I, where I finish off with the last question always is, you know, kind of, we've sort of covered it, but it's kind of a staple to the end of the show. So, <laughs> well, we got to finish right. Yeah. What is one lesson that adversity has taught you? Um, so, given all the people that you've talked to about this, this might be a bit of a cliche answer, but I, I do mean it, which is to be grateful, right? To be grateful for the things that I do have. I've spent a solid 30 years knowing and looking for and trying to get the things that I don't have. And, you know, certainly did some things during that period. But going through adversity, first having it forced upon me and these days choosing it, really gives me a profound gratitude, not just for my own self, but for the people that I get to be around and spend time with. Gratitude. Gratitude's everything, man. It is. That's a great way to end. Thanks, everybody. Go check out Sterling. Follow him on Instagram. And all his information is in the show notes. Uh, He's got a lot of value, as you guys know. Very experienced in the entrepreneurial world, tech world. And his message is, is very powerful. Seek that discomfort, everybody. Your discomfort is necessary for innovation you want in your life. Seek the adversity. Seek the challenges. And you will be rewarded. Much love, everybody. Leave us a review if you got value from that on Apple and make sure you're subscribed to all platforms so that you stay on top of the episode. 
also available on YouTube if you guys want to check that out. Much love. We will catch you next time.